0: From the Haunted Attraction Network, I'm Philip, and this is a bonus episode where we're talking Halloween trends with Jeff DePauly. Remember that we're counting down to Halloween by visiting a different haunt every day here on the show. This is a bonus episode, so it's not part of that countdown, but you can check your feed for today's regular countdown episode. Today, it's just two friends talking about trends in Halloween events and haunts. I recorded this while in the car with Jeff DePauli actually traveling between events. Jeff DePauli is a producer and entertainer living in Los Angeles. Jeff hosts the Disney Coast to Coast podcast, that's Disney with a Z, and is a writer for Attractions Magazine. Between the two of us, we get to many events, and this is a fun conversation recapping what we've seen so far this season. Enjoy. So I thought we would start by just talking about some of the events that we have gone to this year. and Maybe we can get to some trends eventually. But I think we can start with a place that you have expertise in, which is Disney. Disneyland. Yes, indeed. And Disney is doing Oogie Boogie Bash at California
1: Adventure again. For the third year, because they missed a year with pandemic. So this is only year three. So Oogie Boogie Bash is still a new event, really, but it certainly doesn't feel like that. It feels like a full-fledged event, and it has since year one, to be fair. But um, I think Oogie Boogie Bash is an amazing event. The one thing, if I had to say, is a drawback for an event like Oogie Boogie Bash, but this is just kind of innate with family events, is it doesn't change much from year to year, right? There are always small differences. But it's not like a uh, Halloween Horror Nights or not scary farm. Or like uh, a large chunk of it is new year year after year. Oogie Boogie Bash, primarily the same. Wouldn't you agree?
0: It's so interesting because I I agree overall with that, but I kind of came to a different conclusion. Like my conclusion was that actually. <laughs> spoiler alert, I kind of feel like it's it's one of my favorite events and I definitely think it's probably the best Disney event from all the Disney properties that they do and that's, I think it's just, it's a really good mix of activities. There's a lot to do but also I think they change enough where they don't need to. Like if you look at the Magic Kingdom party, that has not changed at all in years and they change just enough.
1: That's just an inherent Disneyland versus Walt Disney World thing though, right? Mm-hmm. Like it's a locals, Park versus a tourist park, which, you know, is always the conversation about Disneyland versus Walt Disney World. So that's not surprising. I is it still a locals park? I mean, do they Disneyland? want it to be a locals park? Whether or not they want it to be, it still is. If you continue selling Magic Keys, at the amount that they are, that it is. It's a locals park. I think they're trying to transition away from that. Um, you know, I know the people involved with making it are super passionate about bringing in new things every year. I think that they... What I find really interesting is, is they truly don't need to bring in anything no. new no no exactly and that was proven this year yes where so for me my whole thing was like if they announced they're bringing the sanderson sisters yes that would really pique my interest in going returning to oogie boogie bash this year they didn't even need to announce any of that stuff because the event was sold out before anything new was announced which is yeah. honestly remarkable and we're kind of seeing this trend just overall with These large Halloween events are selling tremendously well, it seems like. Uh, Knott's is, I think, not doing as great, but for different reasons with the whole chaperone thing. But um, in general, I mean, not even faster than ever, like 10 times faster than ever they sold out, which is remarkable. And I, I know that they were shocked by that. So... Uh, it's kind of incredible, but yeah, they they did bring some new. I mean, the Ernesto de la Cruz. Yes. Uh, was that a photo op or a tr- no?
0: It he, was a trick or treat trail. Yeah, he he was in the treat trail, and I I think, yes, I think your overall point I definitely agree with. Like I, they don't need to add anything new, and the fact that they continue to add new stuff. And that's very un-Disney. Like, the other events, the other seasonal events, basically Disney sets them and then walks away for maybe, like, a decade and well, then yeah. comes back.
1: I mean, how long has, has the Christmas parade been yes. right uh, What's it called? The Christmas Fantasy Parade? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, so many years. I mean, honestly, I think the entire length of time I've lived in L.A., which has been over 15 years at this point. So, yeah, you're right. And I think it's cool that... Yeah, Oogie Boogie Bash probably is, like, the party that... Or the special event that is given the most love. The only, you know, I don't know if I want to say exception, but, like, they do those Disneyland after dark events. And they'll do, like, one-off events, like a 90s night or an 80s night. And I've really enjoyed those. But, of course, those have a fraction of the budget simply because it's a... A few nights, as opposed yeah. to two months long. Yeah. By I, the way, that we're in my car, uh, driving home from Knott's Berry Farm. We're kicked out so they can get ready for not scary farm. So if you're <laughs> if you're hearing other automobiles and traffic and such, uh, that is the lovely ah that lovely loud engine up ahead. So
0: because you know, we were just talking about this too, like. Another big trend and something we were talking about is that the spooky season is starting earlier and earlier. And so for us, it's kind of become September is very difficult, but also August, you know, because of course the the uh, Mickey's Not So Scary started August 12th this year. So that was, you know, really, it's an early thing. Here's the thing.
1: I reject Halloween in August and uh, Halloween is part of my year round life, right? But yeah. there is a difference between, you know, having Halloween as part of your lifestyle versus starting the Halloween season in August. Those are two totally different things. I legitimately have zero interest in going to Mickey's Not So Scary in August. But it was the first date to sell out. The August dates were the
0: first ones to sell out.
1: I'm not surprised. Listen, if you're visiting from out of town and you're like, hey, I'm going on a summer vacation. What? I can do Halloween? Like, you're going to do it. It doesn't surprise me that it sells well. I'm just saying me personally that doesn't, the idea of, I mean, it's bad enough that we sweat at these events yes. in September and <laughs> it's October. Like right? I don't need August humidity mixed into that mix yes. in Orlando. Like, yeah. that's just not my thing, but it sells really well. Let's face it, they would, I think, if they had the choice, they would expand Halloween in the other direction. But they can't because Christmas makes them too much money. Yeah. So the the option is to start earlier, and they do, and this seems to be earlier and earlier and earlier every year. Same can be said, I think, for Halloween Horror Nights Orlando. Yeah. I don't think they've September 2nd. I was gonna say, I don't think they've hit the August mark yet, but like they're getting earlier and earlier in September. The sweet spot for me is right in the middle of September. Like September 15th or whatever weekend lies there. That's like the sweet spot for me. It is early enough to get the people who, like, really want to get Halloween stuff done um, get it in their blood really early. But it also gives you, like, six weeks of celebrating. Like, obviously, a ton goes into these events, and to do it for just one month it's probably does, wouldn't financially make sense, or we wouldn't get stuff as grand as yeah. we do. So, yeah, I don't know. August is really early for yeah, and Halloween event.
0: Well, so I was going to say, the reason that we're recording this in the car is because... We have been very busy and our schedules are just uh way too packed right now we're very stretched thin to try and get all these events in because all the media nights and of course are at the early time so it's like it's been media event after media event for all the park events which open early or earlier um and can I, I, yeah can
1: I say something about media events though mm-hmm. I got to give a huge round of applause to 13th floor entertainment group with their media events because they do one thing that I wish they all would do they do not have their media event on opening night they have yeah. it the following weekend and and I love that they let they let themselves work out the bugs yeah. or get to 100%, you know, because there's always that rush to the finish line. And I wish that more events would do this. I especially wished that Halloween Horror Nights Hollywood did that this year because their media night opening weekend landed the same way, weekend as D23 Expo. Yep. That was and terrible. I, yeah. It would have just been smart to do it. And I'm like, your event's almost two months long. Like, yeah. Yeah. Pushing it one weekend, I think would only benefit you. But so, the only people I see do that is Thirteenth Floor, and I applaud them for that.
0: Yeah, yeah. I, I know several independent haunts who do do that, and I think it's something we've talked about before on the show, which is that you need to really just be aware of what all the the competition is doing, and and coordinate. Effectively, you're trying to coordinate, and you know, it, obviously, Universal is big enough to they're gonna pull people, people are gonna make room for Disney Universal, but they may not make room for, you know, LA Hayride or a smaller event like that, um, or even a smaller event like a home haunt. I mean, some of those are, you're gonna to have to push to weekdays for if you want to get media out there. But, uh, but so back to, back way back to Oogie Boogie and to Ernesto and um, the theme of reinvesting in your show to kind of improve some of the assets around. Um, this year, of course, Ernesto was one of the new three new characters. So this year they had three new characters. Uh, they also had this year, which was a little bit different. They had photo ops, which were separate from the treat trails, which is a little bit confusing That's because not new. people already take. But they had new. They oh, had new characters. They had new characters. Gotcha,
1: gotcha. I thought you were saying like that. Constantly. Yeah.
0: No. So they have new. Um, they had Ernesto, and they had they had Madame Mim. Like they had new treat trail characters. But then they also had uh, the. The, the classic Mickey characters dressed as Sanderson sisters, like, yeah. to take a photo with. And they had Bruno take a photo with. And little, little touches, like, Bruno spoke Spanish, and he would give you a vision if you asked, and he would do it in Spanish. Wow. And I thought that was, like, A+, especially for the demographics in the area and just having a bilingual character. I also thought that Ernesto being like in his skeleton garb like with that great skeleton yeah. mask on and then to be seen sing- to not, have a that's guitar not,
1: that's not a mask that is a beautiful makeup job well th- like that's even better stunningly yeah. beautiful i think it's like an hour and a half to get in that makeup or something it's insane
0: like yeah. it's insane and also like to have a guitar and to have him strumming it and to have him singing yeah like the live actor singing the only take i would give them which is just normal but like if you're going to have a character that's going to play a guitar and sing, people are going to stop and it's, it, oh, it creates yeah. a bottleneck, which, sure. which they don't have the space for because he's not in a, in a big enough space. But in terms of reinventing the event, I mean, that is a lot of effort to put in to just one new character to come in when, like you said, they didn't need to, like they could have left the original slate as is. Totally. You know, why, it's kind of like, why do that? It's just gonna cost them money and make them nothing.
1: And like, frankly, I'm sure that they were already far enough along in the process that they really couldn't do this, but what could have stopped them from being like, oh, hey guys. Uh, We sold out, so all that additional monetary investment we were going to put into this, let's just shelf it for a year. Like, we don't need to this year. Um, Like I said, the process probably already started for making the mask, makeup, and all that stuff, but very impressive how quickly they sold out. Um, I don't think anybody was expecting that. Like I certainly wasn't. Even D twenty three Expo this year, though, sold out fast, yeah, way so faster than ever before. The the pent up demand is real. It is really that is such an interesting point that you
0: mentioned. It and it, and I would say it's as with many things in America, it's kind of like on a, like two camp type of thing where, the big events have been selling out really well. The smaller events have been having a hard time, and the same. Same kind of held through with the pandemic. It's like if you were able to re to op, to reopen, if the independent haunts were able to reopen with guidelines in twenty twenty, you know, then they captured more market share, and they're still kind of riding that wave. Versus people that had to close and they missed a year of market. You know, they, they were kind of still suffering. Um, interestingly, I, I did receive a message from um, from the uh, Haunted Attraction Association recently also mentioning some trends they've been noticing, and that was one of them, is that it kind of seemed like some haunts were doing really well with up to 20% more ticket sales already, and others were under market where they should be. And I think that's the same thing, because Mickey's Not So Scary, Halloween Party has also sold out, and to my knowledge, that hasn't happened in years, where they've sold out in Orlando,
1: they I remember I can't remember how I many, remember they used to have the annual pass for I was going to say they yeah. started having an In annual pass right? or a seasonal pass whatever they called it. Yeah,
0: a season pass 2019 was when I remember it.
1: Yeah, and um and then the next year was pandemic and Then after pandemic they, they tried They did their What did they call it? The
0: after hours After hours
1: boobash or yeah. something. Yeah.
0: They tried an after hours party then they went back this year to okay. make it not so scary.
1: So now that I think that's an interesting topic because I honestly was very very scared with the After Hours Boobash selling so well. It sold yes. very well. That one sold yes. out. Yes. And I definitely feared that that might mean the end of Mickey's Not So Scary Halloween party. Yes. Because I was like, we were just saying, why invest if you don't need to? Yes. I really thought Walt Disney World was going to take that approach. and that would have been devastating because, I mean, to me, the highlight of Mickey's Not-So-Scary is the Sanderson sisters Pocus Pocus Villains. I agree. (laughs) agree. And that was not part of uh, the smaller party. And so I definitely feared that that was going to become, you know, a a regular thing, the small party, because it sold well, for more money. The tickets were more expensive. There were fewer people in the park, but the tickets were more expensive. So, yeah, I'm happy that that at least didn't pull through the way I thought it would. Yeah.
0: And then also on that, I agree with you 100%. I was actually shocked. And again, it's the same argument. It's the exact same argument. I was shocked that they brought back the party. And even that this year they added like a collectible tote, which doesn't seem like a big deal. And like, I, I wouldn't cry about a collectible tote, but it's a big deal to Disney fanatics. Like anything yeah. collectible at a special event, is they just love it.
1: Can I go way off topic just about collectibles for a second? Mm-hmm. Yeah. What is up? with universal's nfts oh dude uh that is something that i have we not
0: talked about yet on the show but like i really want to personally i don't consider them like nfts in the classic sense of like the whole blockchain all that nonsense like i feel like they're really just like a little like puzzle you can do on your smartphone and get like a little sticker i don't think it's, i
1: admittedly like, don't know much about it i've just never been an nft guy yeah. and i know that there are two very different camps there are the people yeah who support it and then they're like the, the haters hate it yeah, and want nothing to do with it and are frankly offended if you offer it to them which yeah. it kind of seems has happened a little bit with yeah. universal and it's interesting because it seems to me, it I came mean, came out of
0: left field. Yeah. Well, there,
1: and also, and, yeah, it wasn't there for the first weekend. Yeah. And then also I've heard, uh, Bob Iger, you know, former Disney CEO in interviews saying that he feels like NFTs are the future. So I'm like, it seems like these corporations want to make them a thing, but I'm not convinced that the public cares all that much. And frankly, it seems to really, uh, dissuade some people from taking part in things. It's very interesting to me. I don't really care either way. I just don't get it. Um, but I, I found it very interesting that they popped up at, I believe, both coasts for Horror Nights, right? I think... I, I, I remember it just being in Orlando, but I'm not... No, 100%. it's here.
0: Oh, okay. Yeah, right.
1: it's definitely here in Hollywood.
0: Well, I think... Um I think the NFT technology behind it, like, the idea of the blockchain and that kind of thing, I think both the blockchain and the concept of NFT stuff will eventually find itself into Amusement Park because it is too useful. You know, the, like, the the idea of something that the NBA has been uh, doing this for a while, like, actually, the theme park's been pretty late to the game in terms of NFTs, and it probably is because of what you mentioned, the crowd blowback, but, like, the, you know, the... To having, or sorry, I think it's the NFL, where they have co- a whole collectible card system that all is run through NFT and they have a whole trading network that's done through that. Like, I think that's there's potential for that, and that could be something that Universal is testing out. Like, is there a way for them to have their own ecosystem of digital trading goods where you can trade among each other? Um, but also, the whole concept of if they converted tickets over to blockchain, you know, you could more easily use them. You could put all of your season passes on blockchain. Like there's a lot of potential that events have already been doing. A lot of events have have, you know, lifetime tickets you can buy that just exist on the blockchain. You could buy a lifetime ticket and then you can sell it to somebody else and each time you sell it they make, you know, a little bit of money off that sale. So there's there's a lot of like I think future potential for it in the amusement parks. It's it's a weird launching off point though, because it was so random. Like there wasn't really, it felt random to me and it feels like they just were like, would people collect these if we offered them for free? That's what it feels like.
1: To me, I feel like it's very, this might sound weird, but I compare it to 3D. I feel like every 20 years or so, the movie theaters try to convince us that 3D is cool Mm. and that we want it. (laughs) And they try this for a couple of years. And the finally, it's like, why are we investing in this? The public does not want it. They don't want to pay more to see something in 3D. That's what NFT feels like to me right now. And to be completely blunt, honest, fair, I don't get the back end blockchain stuff. Like, I just don't really understand it. So it's not an educated um, response, perhaps. But I do feel like as far as public response goes, I feel like there's a lot of people saying we don't want this. Quit shoving this down my throat. And we'll see. I mean, corporations have a lot of money, so they yeah. can spend a lot of money to try and convince you that you want it. But I feel like 3D has never, we've never been convinced of it, no matter how much money the industry puts into it. Is that just way off or does that make sense? Um,
0: I think this is, I, I, I think that point about 3d tracks but i think fundamentally this is a different approach because 3d is more like 3d for like a, a theater or, or like it, it's locked into a particular i feel like it's more mm-hmm. locked into a particular use case i think that the, the problem with the, the blockchain and the whole concept of nfts is they're going to become way more ubiquitous you know i, I mean the, the one hurdle with it of course is figuring out how to mine mine it for do, do, like how to operate basically the that with less power. If we can figure out how to operate it with less power, it's really going to become way more ubiquitous because basically basically right now, you know, we need middlemen to, hand, to handle all sorts of financial services. Like you need banks and you need people, lawyers to write contracts. You need all sorts of stuff. The blockchain eliminates all of that. So basically it would allow people to execute. And in the theme park world, it would allow you to execute more complicated um like season pass or more complicated membership systems um <laughs> way more easily
1: considering what we just went through at knots trying to get in the front game correct correct so it would kind of replace all of that yeah
0: so so it's one of those things where like i think it it could be operating in the back end and you may not even see it in the front end but that's separate from owning like an nft
1: yeah i was gonna say that's a totally different thing than trying to correct. make a souvenir collectible, correct correct
0: now i um, on which the i don't f-
1: think people care about like I don't care. But again, like the but,
0: NBA has made a lot of money doing it. Right? I guess like so.
1: I, I didn't realize that. I don't, you know, qu- all of
0: that. But quite a few, and we've, we've talked about this for a while, or I've talked about this on the show before, like, um, that really I, I could see it working for Disney, where if Disney, because, you know, there's a few ways well, for you to do yeah. NFT systems. Like Disney could make a closed system where you could just kind of like almost like a game where you could buy Disney collectibles and then trade them among people in this like game system. And and I think think that could be successful for them.
1: I think Disney could sell almost anything. Yeah. And Disney fans would buy into it. I, I, you know, I say this half-jokingly. I honestly think there might be a department at Disney merchandising that's like, let's figure out the most ridiculous thing we can convince people to put on their head. Because, like, I've seen tires, obviously mouse ears, cones. Like, it's just Ridiculous. So, in any case, I feel like there's always a market when it comes to Disney fans.
0: Well, that does bring up another point, which is like, I think another trend we're seeing in some of the events we've been going to is like merchandise, food and beverage. You know, those those upsell items have. And and we again, we've been talking about this for a while. Basically, in markets that are more in, in tourism markets that are more developed. So, like the you know the U.S. and and then if you zoom in and go halloween markets that are more developed i think like again orlando california texas you know places that have a a high density and a long long history of attractions i think you're seeing again once you reach the critical mass right there's not many ways that you can increase your revenue once your capacity is kind of at its max so increase spend per guest and how do you increase spend per guest you do that by velvet ropes merchandise food and beverage tours and those sell better when they're more themed or kind of more unique, right? So I think we've seen a lot of that this year in these markets. You know, we've seen the knots Tiki Mug. We've seen the knots like, giant hat thing. Um, <laughs> we've seen, like, the the Knott's um, art gallery. Then 13th Floor, this year they have food stalls. Like, they have the ice cream stall that's themed after one of the characters who has his own area now in the Midway.
1: Monty has his own merch now. Yeah,
0: Monty has his own merch. Monty Revolta. I mean, it's... And then Knotts again. Knotts adding the tour, you know, the daytime tour, which they've never had before, but Universal has had for a while. Um, you know, we, we see even this with uh, Fear Factory in Salt Lake City. You know, selling season passes. They're selling season passes to their haunt. You know, there, there's 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 a there's a lot of these merch and the add on
1: dinners, which yeah. you know Knotts has been doing for a while. But, yeah, I mean... And the food and beverage has really stepped up
0: this year, too. Food um,
1: and beverage... Yeah, people... I mean, I still haven't had pizza fries, but I know that those are, like, a big deal at Halloween Horror Nights.
0: I did not like that burger that we had today. Oh, at Knott's? The chorizo and shrimp and burger... Like, basically, it's like chorizo and shrimp on top of a regular burger, was it's not great.
1: But, yeah, listen, there's always going to be the market for specialty food items that are limited. I And... You know, I think Knott's does that throughout the year. They're really smart about, like, Fun Buns are so iconic at Knott's Berry Farm, right? Yet they're only available during certain times of year. It'd be like making Dole Whip soft serves only available certain times of year at Disneyland. Yeah. Uh, It sounds blasphemous, right? But, man, when it comes back, the demand is extreme. So, yeah, always upsells. Always. In fact, you know, not... I went to the Los Angeles Haunted ride recently on a media pass, so we didn't pay to get in or anything, but me and a friend each had, like, pizza and a drink, and it was, like, over $40. Yeah. And, like, that is a lot of money to be made off of two people for just, like, one quick little meal. Yeah. And, yeah, these events can get very, very expensive. Yeah. I find the... I mean, for me, the upsell that they're always going to get from me is a front-of-line pass. Yeah. And I don't know when this happened, but I don't always remember front-of-line. So the way that a lot of places do it is you have to buy the ticket to the event and then pay for an additional add-on front-of-line. There's so much more. They're, like, almost double the price of the admission ticket. Yeah. And I don't know when that started happening, but... I mean, that's a tremendous amount of money. Yes.
0: Yeah. I, I will say that that leads into another topic I want to talk about, which is like the price increases in inflation and ticket prices. And this is another uh, thing that I got sent from the HAA to um, from the president, uh, Spencer, kind of doing like a, a poll with some of the board members about their ticket prices. Um so from what I've seen, ticket prices are on the rise, but that's to be expected. And from what I've seen, a lot, of, a lot of the, even the larger Disney Universal, they have only raised their prices in line with inflation. So you're seeing like a 9% on average, like ticket price increase. It
1: feels like a huge inflation.
0: But I mean, that's where we, I mean, currently with with, with where we are. I mean, like it, it's in line with it, you know, like the, the Magic Key renewals, you know, even it was like about 9% more. It was more for the very top tier. It was like $300 more, but it was was less for the enders. And then the ticket prices were up only to keep track with inflation. And I see on the smaller attractions, it seems like their ticket prices are up, but to a lesser degree. You know, maybe just a few dollars or a few percentage points, depending on the different markets that you're in. But so overall, it seems like higher prices but not crazy prices but what i have seen is the crazy prices seem to be on like the velvet ropes yeah so like you just mentioned so like maybe they're only
1: through the roof this year right
0: yeah yeah and and i've heard a few things from people off the record of basically that those tickets sold too well and so they need to throttle them using price to kind of reduce that because they're it's just too much Uh
1: uh-huh
0: yeah so um
1: but yeah, they, that's that's a way to sell less for sure. But but even still, especially when it comes to Disney, I feel like it's always like we'll charge more and there'll be less demand. And it's just like no, it will yeah. sell out. Yeah. Um, and you know, Oogie Boogie is considerably more than it used to be, and everything is everything is a lot more than it used to be. But it's like you said, for the bigger events, it doesn't seem to hinder at all. So
0: yeah. To to throw some other data points just for listeners to have smaller attractions you know when we did the research when we did our benchmark research report with the hunter attraction association a lot of independent haunts don't offer a front line you know but the ones that do charge maybe only 20 percent on top of the general admission and really i mean you could look at if you're already offering that depending on how your sales are with it you could look at making that twice the ticket price instead of 20%. You know, that's that's what we're talking about. Like, we're talking about literally, like, double the price of admission for front of line. Like, that's that's what we're talking. And um, so it's a significant well, markup.
1: You know, what's interesting is I find that, and I don't feel like this was always the case, but, like, a lot of places aren't just having front of line passes. They're, they're, they're having access, multiple. Yeah, yeah. Uh, even, you know, if you talk about... Uh, Halloween Horror Nights, there's the regular ticket, general admission, then there's the front of the line, and then there's the RIP tour. But even something smaller, uh, like 13th Floor, they have their regular ticket, they have their VIP, and then they have their platinum. And that's something that I feel is kind of unique for, not that 13th Floor is small, but it's not universal, you know? Um, That's kind of unique, I feel like, and clearly there's that demand for there's the demand for uh creating a class system at these places which i'm not personally a fan of but i'd be lying if i said i didn't take advantage of front of line because i am the type of person that like for something like a disneyland with a lightning lane or a genie plus i'm adamantly against it because i just think it's the wrong way to do it but it's also something that's there year-round you can go you know if you're lucky you can go when you want sort of thing um but like Halloween runs are so temporary that I'm like, I'm having one shot at this. This is a very busy time of year for me and I'm going to d- do it all. So it's either do it or don't, like yeah. do it all or don't. So I, um, I don't know. It's very, it's interesting how many different levels. And I feel like that's just going to continue, right? Right yeah. now I feel like three is kind of normal. I wouldn't be surprised if there's a fourth level in a couple years that'll, you know, get you even more.
0: Yeah. I we'll have to watch that to see where they go and how much and again I think that's a, that's a market thing because we see that expanding in these big theme park markets but it's not expanding as much in markets that don't have the as much competition and again it's 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 a, it's the guest training thing it's like do guests expect that there's going to be a front of line thing, you know, in a lot of markets there isn't. So it's kind of hard to like get them used to that. Cause they, they don't know if there's not a theme park in the area there. They have no reference point and then they get upset.
1: Do you think that these events are oversold so that those front of line passes become more and more appealing because a two hour line for a maze
0: no, no, no. is an
1: extremely long line.
0: Yeah. I can tell you from our research that the haunts do not do that. In fact, most haunts, uh, f- from our research, would prefer to have a consistent show for all of their guests, and so they would kind of prefer the time ticketing thing. The problem comes in where, as we know, everybody like wants to go to a haunt, want to go. Everyone wants to go to a haunted house in like the third weekend, the third Saturday in October at eight p.m. Yeah. Like, everybody. And <laughs> so yeah. that, that's, that is that is the challenge. So it's kind of like um, in order to – the first try is to try, like, time ticketing to kind of alleviate that. But, but if they can't do time ticketing or if it doesn't quite function that way, then you can try the front of line. Because like you said, then there are some guests who are willing to pay for it because they can't come back or they can't do a different time or they're traveling or whatever. So it's more for that reason. It's really – it's not – they would prefer their their show to be a consistent show and to get people through.
1: Yeah. I guess the, the best they can do right now is a tiered ticketing system.
0: Yeah, or like time ticketing where they get slots or tiers, uh, like demand, where, where demand dictates price, basically.
1: You know what I always find so interesting is the option to buy a front-of-line pass partway through the night Yeah, if they haven't sold out. Like, yeah. hey, it's 11 p.m., buy a yeah. front-of-line pass, you know, They've at a discount. Yeah, and I always find that kind of... Funny is the wrong word, but I, I've never taken advantage of that personally. Yeah. Um, but I, I can definitely imagine, like, partway through the night being like, okay, I am done waiting in line. Yeah. Let's see what this, this costs and just doing it, you know?
0: We, um, we talked earlier about how Disney reinvested in Oogie Boogie, and you know, we can compare that with Mickey's Not So Scary, where they're really they brought it back but there wasn't much changes besides a tote but I didn't want to not mention that Universal also reinvested this year and they they reinvest every year I was going to say they do every year they do every year but this year they redid the Lagoon show in Orlando and you know they also changed the 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 amount of fire I would say in uh, Nightmare Fuel
1: I wanted to mention the projection show I haven't seen it yet this year I'm going in a couple weeks to Orlando but Like, they kind of have to. They've done that to themselves because their Lagoon show, from what I remember last year, was very specific to Jack, who was an icon for the year. Yeah. So when they make shows so specific to that year's theme, they're requiring themselves to do a different show every year. They could make a generic Halloween Horror Night show, and that would be fine. I'm sure people would be okay with that. Exactly. But I, I love that they choose not to do that. But, like... If anybody, let's say a year came up where like, listen, we really don't have the budget to change this show. It's like, well, we either have to because it's so specific to last year's theme or we don't have a Lagoon show. Like, those are the two options. And it'll be interesting to see if they ever do decide to make something perhaps a bit more generic where they can add a tag on the beginning and end specific to that year's theme or something like that. But they didn't do that, so good on that.
0: Yeah. I... think it might
1: be possible to
0: take this year's show and tag it, but I don't think they will. Because it, it, it's too seeped in in the, like, in, this, in the retro Halloween mm. kind of theme this year. But, um, but yeah, the... <laughs> anyway. Yes, I did want to mention just that other people have invested to it. It wasn't just that. And I do also kind of think that I don't... Earlier, I, I know you mentioned kind of the investment from Knots also and 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 you know changing the shows out. I feel like um, just to be clear, Knots only changes two of their mazes. Yeah. They don't redo the whole thing versus Universal, who will redo everything, and versus Disney, who changes. I don't know what percentage of Oogie, but Disney changes a little bit of Oogie, but not not most of the event of Oogie stays the same. They just added, they swapped out characters, and then. Knots only swapped out two mazes. That's
1: now is that low for me? That feels like that's, that's a low, low. number
0: that's for knots. Okay,
1: because that was the thing I was going to ask. It was like, in the past, I feel like there used to be more new. Like half of the event would be new at Knots each year, and this year, like you said, only two, which is what ten, twenty percent, ten percent of the mazes. Yeah, there's um, nine by mazes. Okay, so um, yeah. So I feel like that's something that's. Different, I think, you know, everybody's watching their budgets and stuff, but two does feel like a low number for knots Yeah, and I think the bigger problem is how much they don't invest in their returning mazes And I think that's my biggest complaint with them is because there are phenomenal mazes I mean some of my favorite mazes are dark Ride and pumpkin eater. Yeah, and doing both of them this year I was like, you know what, it's time to retire them. But it wasn't because they're not good mazes. It's because they weren't upkept well. And that's disappointing because those, I feel like could keep on running. Like they're fantastic mazes in my opinion. So um, yeah, that's unfortunate, but I think everybody's tightening their belts. Uh, Well, maybe, I think that was
0: kind of the, the, the overall, the larger trend is like who needs to tighten their belts and who is and who isn't and why and what the approach is. It's just it's so interesting and also self-perpetuating where the bigger events they're selling out. They're also the ones that are doing the most investment when they don't need to, <laughs> which again, I think is self-perpetuating because, you know, demand is eventually going to recede for parks in general. We're going to get back to an equilibrium. And when you get back to that equilibrium, you're really going to start looking at the customer experience and, and deciding, you know, like, is this customer experience enough or is, is there, is there enough new to make me want to go? So I think, I think it's a good, a good long-term play, but in the short term, yeah, it must be puzzling for them to be spending so much budget, you know, right after a pandemic on a Halloween event.
1: Yeah. Um, the other thing with Knots that's kind I mean, maybe it was very good that they decided to tighten their belt a bit because... From what I can tell, as a layman, like, attendance is down yeah. because of this chaperone policy that they put in place, and you've probably talked about it on the show, but they recently basically made a new rule that, what is it, one chaperone can cover up to four four, four, yeah. four people underage, but also that chaperone gets in for free. Well,
0: that is new.
1: Yeah, that's new, and that's That's, new. that's, new. that's the new part, Yeah. Um, I mean, I think it's smart. Here's the problem. I can remember going to Hans as a teenager and it feel it was such an independent night away from your parents, right? Yeah, yeah. I don't think kids want to go with the chaperone like yeah. I just don't think they do it's it's the place to go act crazy with your friends and yes obviously some went a little too crazy, but like It is a place for teenagers to go have fun and act a little wild, as long as they're being respectful. It's unfortunate. Like, I do applaud knots because, listen, they know that it's hurting them in the long term, I think. Um, Or maybe not the long term, in the short term, I should say, for a scary farm. But, like, for the long term, it's more important to keep the park safe. So, it's interesting. yeah. I don't know how I... Feel. Like, overall, I think it's a
0: good idea, again, to reward the chaperone with that. But also, I'm still unsure if if the policy is helping or, like, I'm so curious to know. I, I would love to be in the meetings where they go over the data, right?
1: Like, is this actually helping? Do we know? Do we Like, how do we know it's helping? I think as long as they stay out of the media for negative reasons, yeah. it's helping. But, like,
0: you know... It, We talked about on the show previously how, you know, the reason behind the chaperone policy really is is so that they have someone to sue. Like, they need somebody to pin legal blame on, and you can't blame blame on a teenager, so you need somebody who's old enough. And it's like, I don't really know that, I mean, like, four kids is a lot of kids to chaperone.
1: Sure.
0: And I'm just, I I don't know. I'm just, I'm not sure it's gonna... But I do think they need to be rewarded. It's like a designated driver incentive program, basically. Yeah. Yeah. It's a good comparison. Yeah, and I think that, that that is a. It is a good incentive because honestly, <laughs> I was thinking about this too. I was like, man, I would not want to go with four kids and and like be oh. legally responsible for what they did. It's scary. For, can you imagine? Like, yeah. oh my, that would terrify me.
1: Yeah, yeah. That I mean, you better be the parents, right? Like, this, but even isn't, then, you're this not gonna is. gonna have four kids. It's like you listen, and your my parents kids. dealt with five kids all the my time. God. God. So Lord. you know, people do it, but. uh... Yeah, it's that'd be a, so
0: stressful. Like I'm stressed just thinking about having the chaperone like well, four kids. But it.
1: I guess that's kind of what they want, right? They want the chaperones so stressed to the point that's like, you better behave, or else there will be hell to pay. You know, like you want to put, put that fear into into them. Um, I, you know, it's it's unfortunate, but the, I only went to Knots one night, but it definitely had a different vibe. I think that one night.
0: Yeah. Yeah, different how. I, I was busy trying to record stuff.
1: I wasn't really... I mean, it was way quieter than I'm I've right, ever okay. seen an opening night at knots Yeah. Way quieter. Like, the only things that had long lines were the two new mazes. A lot of yes. the others were, like, five to 15-minute walk-ons. Yeah. And there aren't a lot of mazes. Nine is a low number for knots right? Yeah.
0: So... Well, and then, meanwhile, at Universal, right... Your lines are averaging over an hour for everything.
1: Yeah. So, uh, you know, I, I, it felt different to me. And it I, definitely seemed like an older crowd. And I think, you know, repeat visitors are probably younger. They have more time to do that sort of thing. But I, I don't think they want to go with the chaperone. Like, I think that's what it really comes down to. I. I think if I were that age, I'd be like, I'm gonna go to horror nights just so I can be alone with my friends. Yes. Yeah. And I'm I wasn't I'm not even a wild child. Like, I was a very normal kid. Yeah. Uh, it's, just I, it's just different. It's just different when you're totally with your parents. Different. It's different. It's like when you hit that age where you can go trick or treating alone, and not have your chaperone parent with you. It's like it's a different night, uh, and I think people want that release. So. Yeah, I think it's a there I think Knott's is stuck between a rock and a hard place, unfortunately.
0: Wow, that's a great segue into the next kind of trend I think we've seen. Again, probably at Knott's is also the staffing.
1: oh uh, yes.
0: Oh my god.
1: This this is <laughs> honestly this is everywhere though. This isn't a Knotts thing. Yes. Everything I've experienced, character numbers just feel down. I'll walk through a maze and say, Where are the people? Where's like where are the characters? Why is this effect not going off? You know, oh, because there's no puppeteer for that or whatever. Uh, But this is not a new problem, right? This has been a problem for a while. There's so many Halloween opportunities in Southern California for performers that, like, frankly, the one that's going to pay the most and or be closest to wherever the performer lives is the one that's going to win out. And you know... I can understand that, but unfortunately, yeah, across the board, I feel like numbers have been low for performers.
0: It's interesting. I think this is another thing where there, where my research, in my reporting, has shown again, a, kind of like a divided thing. In more competitive markets, you know, it it really depends. Um, some of the smaller markets are having a, an easier time getting performers, but a harder time getting concession and ticket staff because because well i mean what they think it is is because the there are less performing jobs in a smaller market but you know a smaller market there's still target and starbucks and amazon Mm -hmm. so it's kind of pulling so it really depends on the genre of job right but in these bigger markets i think there's just so many performers needed for seasonal entertainment that's like there's still just not enough you know in this area so I, i
1: I mean, because it is hard work. Yeah. It is really hard work. Uh, It takes a certain personality type. None of them pay extraordinarily well. Uh, Most of these people are coming after their day job. So, you know, there's the exhaustion level on top of it. It's tough work. Yeah. And, um, yeah. Yeah, I was going to say, I think that we...
0: Several of the, the houses that we went to last night for Hayride... Uh, we're missing a lot we're missing cast but then also i we had to go through origins at knots three times to catch the green witch oh wow like three times so we we went through twice and she wasn't there and we were like we really need you need to see the green witch because she's like it's her maze i mean that's you know and the final scene of origins is her on a a bungee a pulley yeah you know kind of jumping over the audience and that's that's a a fantastic moment to end the show on, and we were like, we need, we need that in the video. So we have to keep going back, um, waiting for. So I, my guess was they only had one, and then she was just yet, you know, because whenever you're in a, again, performing jobs, you know, if you're a face character versus if you're a stilt walker, say, or if you're, a
1: stunt roll, right? Yeah,
0: stunt yeah. rolls are really rigorous in the amounts of break time they need. Yeah.
1: And they get paid more. So it wouldn't be unlikely that they just wanted to hire less. I I don't know if that's the case at all. Maybe they couldn't fill the role for some other reason. But, yeah, it's, it's always disappointing, especially when most people are only getting to go through these mazes one time. And, yeah, I think we've all been in those situations where you're in a maze and the group in front of you is getting every scare. Yeah. And you're just, like, you walk out feeling... You know, like, oh, you didn't get your money's like, yeah. worth, yeah. but you're not going to wait in a two-hour line or a one-hour line again, and or, you know, in the case of Halloween Horror Nights, your front of line only gets you in once. Yeah. You know, you can't do that more than once, so it, it's kind of an inherent problem with haunted houses. Yeah, it has the... The, the the nice way of looking at, at that is well, every time you go through it's a different experience. Yeah. True, but I only get to go through once usually. So. Well, so something you just said is
0: really interesting. I think this is also another topic we want to talk about. The concept of the line being so long, it's like discouraging. When we when I interviewed Chris Stafford for from 13th floor, he talked about they're they're trying to solve that with their new Shacktoberfest event yeah he kind of described it as a deconstructed haunted house where instead of having a line of two hours for a longer experience. You know, maybe you have a, a shorter, like a, a minute long scary experience, but the line is much shorter. And then you've taken a lot of the actors and scary components and put them in like more of a free roaming, basically like a, a big scare zone that also has pieces of the haunted house. So really like a deconstructed haunted house to try and alleviate that kind of thing. And also try and make it where you can choose how scary you want it to be. Like you still wanna see scare actors, but you don't wanna to have to go through uh, our hour line for origins.
1: Yeah, I, I think that's interesting. It'll be interesting to see how it works out. I think honestly, I think Shacktoberfest is the most like buzzed about thing in Southern yeah. California, just because nobody knows what it is and it sounds so weird, right? Yeah. Like nobody <laughs> associates
0: minions nobody <laughs>
1: associates Shack with Halloween. So it's gonna be interesting. To see how it is, I know they've invested a lot in it. I think uh, actually I was talking to Chris last night, and he said it's like the biggest scale ground up build that Thirteenth Floor has ever done. Yeah, and you know that's a. I know that he's been in. You know, he doesn't live out here yet. He's been in Long Beach for well over a month at this point, um, focused on Shaktoperfest and his other SoCal stuff. But you know, Shaktoperfest—they're investing a lot and. It'll be really interesting to see what it ends up being.
0: Okay. Well, we're about to our next destination. So I think it's a good place to wrap up. Jeff, any final thoughts? Can I make a plug
1: on something? Yes, please do. All right. We were talking about Oogie Boogie Bash earlier in the conversation. Uh, I really, really do love Oogie Boogie Bash. And I am excited to say that for the first time ever, I have gotten uh, cooperation from Walt Disney Imagineering and some of the folks who created Oogie Boogie Bash and we're getting together for a live panel on Sunday, October 9th at 3 p.m. in Santa Ana, California at the Frida Cinema to talk about the creation of Oogie Boogie Bash. This is with uh, three of the folks who, you know, we got the show director, we got a producer, and we got the lighting and projection projection designer coming. And uh, we're gonna talk about the creation of that, and then we're gonna follow it up with a screening of Tim Burton's The Nightmare Before Christmas on the big screen. I'm sure many people out there have actually never seen it on the big screen. And I'm really excited for it. Tickets are on sale at the Frida, F-R-I-D-A Cinema.org. Sunday, October ninth. 3 p.m. We did it in the afternoon for a couple reasons. Number one, some of the kids enjoy, it, it's a good event for kids. Kids love the Nightmare Before Christmas, but also if you do have a haunt or Halloween event you wanna go to that evening, this is something you can do before that even. So uh, hopefully some of you can make it. It's gonna be a lot of fun and it's about seven miles from Disneyland. So not too far from uh, You know exactly what we're talking about. Once again, thefreetocinema.org.
0: Sign up at dantum.com/demo. That's dantum.com/demo. Our Hauntathon team includes Daryl Plunkey, Emily Louise Rua, Megan Spells, Gavin Burns, and Omni Adventures. Our partners for this year's Hauntathon include Sharp Productions, HorrorBuzz.com, ScareTrack, TheScareFactor.com, and Hauntopic Radio. The best way you can support us this Halloween season is by sharing our Hauntathon with someone you think will enjoy it. And to follow along to our Haunted Dawn, sign up for our weekly newsletter at hauntedattractionnetwork.com. We'll catch you back here tomorrow and every day until Halloween. This is a Haunted Attraction Network production.